Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, hey, listen, seriously, if you're not already and you enjoy what we do, you can become a Major Spoilers member and get access to, now, I don't want this broadcast far and wide, you can get access to a bunch of other stuff just by becoming a member. Where can you do that? Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we head back to school with My Hero Academia, head into the dark multiverse with Batman, head into the netherworlds in more ways than one, if you know what I mean, and maybe take a nice nap with Sleeping Beauties. We know you have a choice in podcasts, so ask your doctor if the MSP is right for you. He'll tell you yes, because doctors love us. So wear a helmet and floss and drink less sugary stuff, and remember to duck, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. And if your Major Spoilers podcast lasts more than three hours, you should probably consult a professional. Hey, welcome to Issue... We should probably consult. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Welcome to Issue 880 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Oh, getting ever closer to Issue 1000 each and every day that we do this. And thank you to everybody who is uh, making sure that we've been able to do this for... What are we coming up on? 14 years? 14 years of this stuff. That's Ashley's entire life. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least that's the age range that she can play on uh, on movies because she still looks that young. So what are you waiting you for, Hollywood? Hire her. God, every well, we're, week. We're, we're currently waiting to uh, be told that we can go oh, back to work. So wait. So oh, have right. they. So what is going on in California? I don't know how much you are aware of everything that's going on, but what's going on in California as far as Hollywood getting back to work and and that kind of stuff? Uh, so if I haven't, if I've said this on the podcast or the pre-show before, I apologize, but I think it is very telling that the entertainment industry, which is run by incredibly rich and affluent people, uh, has told everyone to stay the F home until the end of the year, while um, a lot of other industries that employ wage slaves, uh, it's going right back to work. I think that's definitely worth hmm. considering when we wonder whether or not the pandemic is over. It's not. It's definitely not. Uh, definitely not uh my home state is currently seeing record numbers which makes me feel really good about the world but no right so that's weird so uh you know i think warner brothers has basically said yes everybody's going to be working from home until at least the end of the year yeah cbs i think is doing something very similar um and we've seen netflix as well and the cw has basically said hey we are taking our fall season and we're basically packing it with all the stuff from the dc universe uh online site uh, we, yeah, all, we've, all the stuff that didn't we didn't want to buy in the first place. Yeah, so now we have to use it. There. <laughs> and then as we get to our news story this week, um, movie theaters thought that, hey, first of July, we're going to be able to open back up and everything's back to business. But no, that's not the case. Tenet, the Christopher Nolan movie that everybody's been waiting for, uh, has been pushed back until July 31st. Uh, that's the, I think, second time it has been pushed. Wonder Woman 1984, which was supposed to come out in August, has now been pushed to October. My guess is that's going to be a 2021 movie. Uh, And then we also have, uh, what were the other ones that uh, got pushed? Uh, I think Bill and Ted is still scheduled to open uh, when it's supposed to open. Black Widow and James Bond were were pushed right at the beginning. Yeah, Mulan. So the weird thing is, the weird thing is we're looking at movies like Tenet and Wonder Woman, which have already been pushed um, twice, I think, once at least. Uh, are getting another push. So that's well, did telling you see me. The, 
the Academy Awards have now yes. been pushed back as well, and their categories have been altered. Yeah. So do you know what the category alterations are? I saw that come across uh, today. I was too busy taking care of of kids. Uh, but I did see that the Academy Awards has been pushed back and that they were going to reconfigure uh, the system. But I didn't look to see what those what those new categories were. And it's going to be really interesting if they're only counting movies that have come out and maybe a few streaming. I thought that they were looking at maybe a few streaming movies yeah, so would be eligible biggest, this year. That's the biggest change, right? Is typically uh, you need a theatrical quote unquote release. Mm -hmm. You need to run in cinemas, whether that be limited to Los Angeles and New York City. That's totally fine. But you have to shell out because a lot like comic books, um, the entertainment industry is very has a very weird relationship with its distributors. Mm. And um, so they've basically allowed that streaming movie. So um, Spike Lee's to five bloods, for example, mm -hmm. uh, would be in contention, which and... drops straight to Netflix. Whereas in a typical year, it would not be typical season, uh, which I still maintain means that Elizabeth Moss will be winning best actress 2020 for the invisible <laughs> man. Great to stream, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen it yet. But so that's the main shift, right? Is that they're allowing for streaming movies uh, to be, Considered in categories where typically in the past, because uh, the Academy uh, is full of forward thinking, young, diverse points of view, um, they've not been open to that. That's why Beast of No Nations was cheated from the Best Picture Oscar that it deserved that year that that dropped yeah. on Netflix. Uh, and they also pushed back, I believe, the previous cutoff date um, was December. So they pushed it back to February of 2021 with the ceremony Slated to take place in April, mm, although okay. no announcements about whether or not it will be in person uh, or via Zoom or some other streaming type service. But again, when you consider the fact that uh, the entertainment industry is run by a lot of rich, well-informed people, I'm assuming that it will not be an in-person event. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too, because what was the other one? The Emmys also uh, the Tonys, the 2020 Tonys were postponed. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Emmys were also um, canceled. The governor's ball was canceled and has been pushed back. To a later date, uh, so a lot of that stuff's going on. And again, I I know where we can, I know Apple doesn't like it when people talk about coronavirus and and, and COVID nineteen and their shows and and they want to yank shows that talk about that stuff. Yeah, on YouTube, boy. Um, but uh, we're talking about this not in the terms of you know drink whatever this and inject yourself with this, but this is how it affects our business, whether that business be comic books or whether that business be movies. I think it's very premature honestly, for Tenet to even think about a July 15th opening. Yeah, and it's interesting to me, um, and Tenet's a movie that I'm really, really interested in. Yeah, me it's too. It's interesting to me that the PR folk are trying to spin it. Well, it has a black lead, so it's this movie that we need in this time right now. And I, I don't disagree. And I think the movie is going to be great. I think it's going to be impactful. But I think the fact that like a bunch of PR machines are trying to use that as an excuse to uh, risk the health and safety of what is entirely the population of the world mm -hmm. is is irresponsible. And and I can say that from, you know, the privilege of being a white person who sees myself represented in movies all the time. Maybe a person of uh, 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 who's black or of African descent feels differently. But I think I think that that rhetoric around Tenet is wild right now. Yeah. And, and same way with, I mean, Wonder Woman as well. People are wanting to see these movies, but of I kind of, I think Matthew, I kind of agree with uh, uh, Spike Lee who said, and this is a guy that loves movies. He said, there's no way I'm going to a movie theater until we get a vaccine. I agree with Spike Lee. And I feel like I, I have 
you know, I have enough anxiety and enough stress just going out and going to work to where I don't think I'm going to be comfortable in large groups of any kind, even after there's a vaccine, at least for a while, because, you know, we are seeing record numbers of infection and the, the decisions that are being made are clearly not being made in a public health capacity. They're being made in an, oh, my God, how do we stop our financial bleeding capacity? And I feel like I don't want to see Tenet anyway. Um, sorry, I don't. Well, what about um, but, Wonder Woman, uh, 1984 or uh, Mulan or, you know, any of these? Keep in mind, though, the odds of me seeing them in the theater oh, sure, is are, relatively are super, low anyway. Super, but. super small. I, I guess, Rodrigo, the, the question for you would be, are we going to see theaters open in? I mean, technically they can. California, other states have said, even here in Kansas. I mean, my boys have started going back to soccer practices and that kind of stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, they're saying, hey, movie theaters open up. But at what point do you think, do you think that we will get any movies in 2020? Or do you think that this will just be, hey, if if we really need Tenet to be a, a theatrical release, we're going to have to wait until next year? That's a That's a good question because... There's what should happen, which is that, no, movie theaters don't open for the rest of the year or more. Um, and then there's what's actually going to happen, which is that I feel that in states where they are allowing this to happen, they then movie theaters might open. And, and really, that becomes a question of what the studios then want to do with their movies, right? Because... If you want your movie to have a theatrical release, but only 20 out of 50 states are opening their theaters, do you release your movie to what's yeah, going to be, that, you know, a tiny amount of money? That is a great question. To, yeah. I mean, are you only going to show Tenet or Wonder Woman or any of this other stuff? Are you only going to show it in, you know, Florida, Georgia, Texas and California? Well, you're not going to show it in Florida. They they done closed back up. Oh, this they week. did. OK. All right. Yes, they surely did. So, I mean, is, are you, you know, we actually talked about in order to be considered for Oscar contention or award contention, do you have to have even a minor limited release? But I think the movies, are the, the studios, not the movies, the studios are holding off on these big movies like Black Widow. Because they want to make all that movie money mm -hmm. uh, from theatrical distribution. But at what point do they say, you know what, we can no longer wait and we're just going to have to go to premier or premium VOD. How much longer do, do, do we wait until that happens, Ashley? Um, I would say a while. I don't think that is going to happen for Wonder Woman, for Black Widow, no, for Mulan, no matter what everyone's saying on Twitter. Um, that is not going to happen until 2021 because the difference is you can say all you want. Oh, Trolls World Tour, right? Sure. Made $100,000 opening weekend. How amazing. Look, I want $100,000. If anyone wants to give me $100,000, you call me, you let me know. I'll make that happen. But movie studios are playing the game with Black Widow. They're playing the game with Wonder Woman where they're going to make potentially billions of dollars. So settling for 100000 that is chump change in terms of what they are considering and what they are expecting as a return. And I think they're going to hold out. I think they're going to hold out as long as possible because they, in their estimation, they need that yeah, money. That billion. I, well, I, I think yeah. you'll be more likely to see smaller projects, you know, movies that were $5 million to make go right to premium VOD. I think for those big prestige ones, those Oscar Beatty movies, those summer mm -hmm. temple movies, 
I mean, I think especially if California and New York are not fully back open. Yeah. Like if their if their attendance is not back at full capacity, I don't think I don't think we're getting any of the things that everyone is excited about just from a population and an economic point of view. Right. Fourth Matrix yeah. movie was also bumped uh, for its release date. Godzilla was also bumped. Godzilla versus Mothra was bumped. Um, so there's a bunch of movies that, that are getting the 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 old switcheroo there. I think what it's going to take, uh, you know, in terms of embracing VOD, it's going to take uh, actually releasing movies and having nobody go. That's that I think is what it's yeah. going to take for these studios to actually embrace the idea of VOD is putting a movie out there and having enough people still concerned or, you know, worried or just not interested in being locked in a room with 4,700 other people to just say, nope. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the second or third time that this happens and they're not getting the box office that they want, suddenly VOD will be an amazing, cool new thing that everybody was totally behind all along. Well, well and I think their, and their projections will factor uh, reduced theater going. Right. That's the problem with right. Wonder Woman. That's the problem with Tenet mm-hmm. is that as these movies were being made, they were projecting mm-hmm. that they would get at least these many butts and seats. Right. But now that there are no butts or seats, like it's a buttless economy, you know, yep. and like they're just like freaking out. They don't know what's going to happen. So some play like some studios are like, OK, well, let's release it as video on demand because we've got other things on the pipeline. And this is just like when you don't release a movie, you don't make money off of that movie. And right. what I, I feel like it's a very Warner Brothers um, tactic to be like, but I want this money. And like, you know, the, you know, there's people within the company that are like, dude, we got to release this movie because otherwise people are going to lose interest in it. You know, we're already, we've already spent all of our advertising money. We can then throw more good money after bad and advertise for it again when we decide to release it in six months. But what if nobody shows up to it? And no, they're just holding on to it. And they're like, but I want to make money off this movie. And the result of that may be that they actually don't make very much money off that yeah. movie. Yeah. I'm just, I really just, I really don't think we're going to see these movies open this year. Honestly. All I yeah. can say is that I hope that that is the case because I mean, the way people are behaving in Los Angeles is like, this thing is over. And I'm, I yeah. am super nervous personally that when the cinemas open back up on Saturday, uh, that people are going to go. Because I have seen so many people online and so many of my followers are like, I'm so excited. I can't wait. What are you excited for? And I think there's a lot less people who are like willing to be a bummer and be like, I'm excited for coronavirus vaccine. I like truly, in terms of the things in the world, Wonder Woman is so much lower on the scale for me. Uh, but I, I am nervous that if things open up, if cinemas open up over the next month and there is a huge groundswell of supporting them, um, that these movies are going to be released, they're going to ultimately flop, and then we're going to see more spikes. Mm-hmm. And that's bad for everyone on so many different levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, so this... Uh, while we talk about this and movies isn't something that we, we do talk about on this show. Uh, do keep this in mind when your theater opens up. Do you feel safe going? I certainly don't. I'm not going to go there. Uh, but do I feel okay with my son running around with other non COVID uh, case people to do soccer practice? Yes. I am okay with that. Am I worried that come August one, 
that they're going to be spending a whole semester doing homeschool. Yeah, I believe that that's what's going to happen. So that's just me. Maybe it'll I change. I hope that's what's going to happen because I, I, I frankly, I, I, I've had experiences uh, with the the Kansas school uh, situation that make me question their ability to do things like distribute toast. So I really don't know that I trust their ability to keep even a child, you know, like my kid safe. These yeah. are, these are 16 year olds. They're going to do whatever they want anyway. Well, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't want to get into a big, long conversation about, you know, vectors and people that are, you know, the difference between people are a community that has not ventured out uh, to other places and having them reopen as opposed to, Hey, everybody let's reopen and, and people go on vacations uh, because it's summertime and that's mm-hmm. what you do. And then they're exposing themselves and others to this and bringing it back to their community, which was sealed off. And that's, what's going to happen come the fall. Everybody's taking a summer vacation or in a college case, if, if colleges are opening back up, students are coming in from all over the country and bringing that. And that is, that's where you were going to have this problem again. But let's talk about something different listeners. We spent a whole, uh, speaking of education, we just spent almost an hour uh, in the major spoilers pre-show fixing the American education system. And yeah. you can hear all about it when you become a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers at the silver level or higher. That's literally less than a buck an episode that you're paying uh, to to access fine shows like the Major Spoilers podcast to get all these extras that are over there at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And you can connect yourself to the Discord server. You can connect your Patreon account to the Discord server, and then you can go in and talk to uh, all sorts of cool people in secret chat rooms that we have set up exclusively for our patrons. So please carry on the conversation there at our Discord server, and uh, you can connect your Patreon account to access those other secret areas. Let's talk about some reviews. reviews. More comics are coming out, which is uh, kind of a good thing. And we have comics coming out this week, comics coming out last week, uh, comics coming out in two weeks. Uh, Matthew, why don't we start with you with Faithless 2, number one from Boom Studios came out last week. This is that super, super sexy uh, uh, devil worshiping uh, book that uh, everybody got all uh, kerfuffled about last last year. I, I admit the reason that I picked up Faithless 2, number one, was entirely because of your review of I think the first issue of the first series, yeah, where you went, uh, oh yeah, she's definitely uh, naked. She's definitely getting on with somebody who may be a demon. She's definitely also getting it on with uh, another girl who also may be the daughter of the guy who thinks he's a demon. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing: this book opens with a truly entertaining. Uh, sex scene that is actually a phone sex scene, except there's video involved, a huge, giant, uh, big screen TV. And it is, at this point, really, really explicit that she is dating the devil and also his daughter. And so, you know, that's fine. That's something that I would expect. I've, I've seen weirder comic premises, although most of the time they are Japanese comics. And I have to admit, the way that the sex scene ends is both refreshing and also, I don't want to say off-putting, but but striking, uh, a little bit disturbing, 
because uh, not only does she get walked in on by her boyfriend, the devil, she also realizes that she's having, you know, sex with somebody and, she, and she's just started her period. And I'm like, okay, that's something that you almost never see in comics. At least I hope that's what it is, because otherwise somebody got murdered. Um, this comic is... Um, <laughs> there are so many words that I could use that don't quite put it all together. I mean, there's an element of shock value here, and there's an element of kind of a, a counterculture vibe or a, a almost you know profane in the classical sense, intentionally so. I mean, obviously the main character is sleeping with someone who is presumed to be the literal devil. And it does get sexy, and it does get bloody, and it does get murderous. And as the book comes to an end, as this first chapter comes to an end, I'm like, that was a really incredibly well-drawn comic that I don't know how to feel about. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like all of the components that are here. You know, I like the idea of a good classic horror kind of exorcisty story. And I, I like the sex portions of it. And I like the, you know, the ideas that are in play here. I like the fact that it's a relationship that is non-traditional and that there are two women and a man involved in one relationship. Although I think that he's the father of one of the girls, which is, yeah, okay. It's another thing where they're intentionally kind of walking right up to a taboo line and then kicking you and going, hey, hey, hey. And on some level, that's incredibly challenging in a good way. On another level, it's, I don't feel like it's entirely fully formed. There comes a point where, you know, being poked by a story, being challenged and prodded and saying, hey, what do you think with your Midwestern white cishet male sensibilities about this, fat man? Th there's a point where that is intriguing, where that's good, where that's really wonderful that you want from a story. And then there's also a point where it's just like, I get it. I really do get it. You can, you can take a step back, you know, I don't know. Here's the bottom line for me. When I say this comic is pretty okay, that is not an indictment of anything. That means that it is better than average. I feel like it handles some very difficult material in interesting ways. And it does so in a way that is designed to provoke you. And being provoked by art is always an interesting experience. It's not necessarily an experience that I would recommend you sign up for. I would say that if you're coming into this book blind, if you've never seen Faithless, if you've never heard Faithless, but you're familiar with the things that I like in you know, the comics and the movies and the things you've seen on the Major Spoilers podcast, be aware that I am very trepidatious about the next issue. I want to read it, and I also very much don't. And I don't want to necessarily have read this one retroactively on some level. And yet that's not necessarily saying that it's a bad issue. So it's a complex uh, sort of a love-hate thing, which also describes the story in the book. So if you feel like the idea of a story where a young woman is sleeping with the devil and also the daughter of the devil at the same time, and it's not played for giggles and it's not, you know, an adult swim nighttime cartoon, then definitely check this out. Not if you're under 18, 
not if you're easily, you know, squicked out by things. And, you know, not if you're a creepy, creepy guy who's way too into parts or, or any of that. So, yeah, three slices of meatloaf for Faithless 2, number one. It's, it's a toughie. Uh, Joe Lansdale has a phrase for stories like this that is a little bit crude, but I think is important. It'll knock your dingus in the dirt. He uses a different word for dingus, but I feel like to say this story knocked my dingus in the dirt is both appropriate and true. So, uh, just, I want to, can I ask, did, um, the writer or artist contact you about reviewing this book? No, no. no? Okay. Boom studios didn't reach out and said, Matthew, we want you to review this book. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So you're only picked this up because of the comments that I made, uh, both last week on the dueling review podcast and my previous review of this. Yes. I basically, when we talked about it on dueling review, I remembered Steven was totally squicked and freaked out and also I wasn't freaked know, out. Kind of it was, just, it was just like, uh, not my cup of tea. Right. Um, it was not your bag. Okay. And I feel like as, as the, you know, the resident weirdo here, uh, to some degree, I feel like in, in, in matters of the strange and the bizarre and maybe the, you know, the quasi horror sexual, I feel like I may be a good barometer because I've read a lot of crap in and around that area. So, yeah, I feel like, uh, first of all, you were right. Second of all, I might be back next issue. Third of all, I might regret that decision. All right, cool. Uh, so out this week from DC Comics, Dark Knight Death Metal number one. And this is a follow up to the previous uh, Dark Knight series, uh, which is fine. Um, this is, you know, very good art, uh, very solid, very well written. Uh, the interesting thing about this story is, and again, this is all part of DC's. We don't need a real continuity anymore. We can just tell stories. So uh, apparently, you know, the the DC universe, the one that we all know and love, has fallen under the spell of the dark universe and all the things that are going on. And the and the uh, what is it? The, the man, the Batman who smiles has taken over everything and subjugated all the Justice League and. People are just in a, in a horrible place and Wonder Woman is essentially in charge of the prison system. All these things that are going on. And then they find out that there may be a way that they can get rid of all of this. Turns out that before the, uh, the, the, the dark universe came in and took over this DC universe, the reason why there were so many attempts, so many crises that were happening in the DCU is because this was a universe that was devoid of a uh, dark, dark energies, I guess is the best way that I can describe it. And so they come up with a plan. And this is kind of the thing that is uh, kind of hinted at here in this, in this issue is that perhaps what they really need to put into this universe to get rid of the, the, uh, the dark universe and to save any other of the multiverses that are out there is to have an anti-crisis event. You know, because they're always being uh, attacked with crisis events. So maybe if they have an anti-crisis event, then uh, it'll, it'll fix everything. Also, there's a page that has a Lobo in it uncovering something. So whatever that's going on with there is interesting. There's also Batman, and Batman has, a, uh, has one of the dark uh, Black Lantern rings. And he causes all these dead people to rise up and attack the uh, the little uh, Dark Universe Robins, which I thought was kind of funny. And all of the evil villains that have sided with uh, the Batman who, who, who smiles or laughs. Uh, the Batman who laughs. 
Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, there's a whole thing with Sergeant Rock that starts out the story and then concludes the story, which is super creepy. But I still kind of appreciate it. So, I mean, this is pretty good. Uh, this is much, much darker than the previous Dark Knights uh, event. Uh, and I think rightfully so. Uh, I would like, I don't know where the story is going. I know that there are many, many, many people who love the Batman who laughs, who thinks that this is the greatest character to ever come out. But I got to tell you, I hope at the end of Death Metal that the Batman who laughs is gone and that we don't see him anymore because I don't care for him. I care for him even less than I care for uh, uh, Damian Wayne. And that's saying a lot right there. Uh, but the art is good. The art is really, really good. The, the story is solid. You can tell that there's a lot of passion be, uh, with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo in, in their team up than the story that they're telling and so much passion, which, you know, I give big credit to. And if you're someone who likes Dark Knight Death Metal uh, or the Dark Knight series, then I really think you're going to enjoy this. I really, really do. Um, I guess my final thought here is this is an interesting book. Uh, the setup is executed very well. There's enough to make me interested in picking up the second issue and finding out what happens next. Okay. Uh, so for that reason, I'm giving Dark Knight Death Metal number one out this week from DC Comics, three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Uh, you know, raise your, your axe in the air and uh, shake it like you just don't care. I think that's how the Ozzy Osbourne song goes. Uh, that's yeah, where I'm I leaving. That's how it goes. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, but that's where I'm leaving Dark Knight Death Metal number one. Three and a half slices of the good old meatloaf. Also coming out this week. Oh, this is a this is one of um, this is one. I think Matthew, don't you like the Bandette? Or are you the not a Bandette. fan of Bandette? Maybe not. Bandette. Ashley, tell us what's going on with this uh, with Bandette Volume One out this week from uh, Dark Horse Comics. Yeah, so I've been reading uh, the Color of the Law for two weeks, which is very heavy. And I'm trying to make my comic choices a little bit lighter to combat that as totally a result. Understand. Uh, Bandette was a monkey brain comic book. Do we remember when yep. monkey brain oh, existed? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I loved that thing. Yeah. And uh, this is actually a reprinting of the first volume. But Bandette is truly so excellent. And I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, if people are familiar with Miraculous... Uh, the Netflix uh, show that's a superhero property set in France that we've dubbed into English and everyone's names are weird and mispronounced. Uh, Bandette is that. But I would say uh, for an, an older audience, Miraculous is definitely uh, an all ages story. That being said, uh, I like it and I watched the whole series. Uh, Bandette is definitely for like your middle grade teen audiences. Uh, Bandette is a dope cat burglar who lives in France. I think it's supposed to be Paris. Mm -hmm. And this is the tale of her first adventure. It's really sweet. It is called Presto for a number of reasons. And I do want to say that I think Dark Horse did a really smart thing electing to uh, republish this when they did because DC obviously is having a lot of success with their um, all ages. I think it's all just DC kids yeah, now. DC kids, yeah. Imprint. And this is very much in that same vein. I think Paul Tobin is really underrated as a writer. He does the YA thing so good. It's so wonderful. It marries 
what it is to be a teenager with what it is to be a, uh, I guess we'll say an anti-hero because you're really rooting for her in the way that you would be rooting for Selena Kyle to break in and steal things. Like she pretends to be really bad, but she's not really bad. And Inspector Belgique, who is the gendarme who's coming after her, is a very playful adversary. Uh, nothing gets too scary. Uh, there is a brief threat to her life, but in keeping with the tone of the book, Bandette and her group of um, sane irregulars, I guess, instead of Baker Street irregulars, her group of little urchins, uh, wind up winning the day. Everything is okay, and she lives to appear in two more volumes. Colleen Coover is on art. Uh, again, Colleen Coover, I think super, super underrated. If you like that Darwin Cook Batman the Animated Series type style. She's very much in that vein. The colors in this book are incredible. If you slept on this or you missed it when it first came out, uh, this volume was originally published in 2013 because I know exactly where I was working when I bought the first volume. Uh, I would really recommend picking this up right now. It is superhero candy. And if you're like me and you need an escape and you need an opportunity to bring some levity, it's a quick read. It's really fun. It's fun for the whole family. And it also makes a really nice companion um, to something like Superman Smashes the Clan, which is mm -hmm. a little heavier, but for the same audience. So, mm -hmm. I mean, five out of five. I was so thrilled this was coming out again. It gave me an excuse to revisit it because I love Bandit, And I loved everything that Monkey Brain was up to uh, when it was incarnated. I think Dark Horse scooped up the printing rights to I think it so. and i hope that if we're starting with this i hope that we're revisiting some of the other things in their catalog because they had a lot of really cool books back back in the day back seven years ago in the <laughs> ancient times back in the, in the long ago times back yes. in the zach era yeah 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 back before ashley was part of the show i think that's right yeah first there was zach then we evolved into something with ashley which is much better so there you go zach yeah. there's some there's oh, some shade thrown zach at you zach evolves into an he, ashley he's he gonna fight me now no yeah well uh, the thing he's... is they're both grass types you start with a Zachagon and you go to an ashley v and eventually you move your way up you become like a, a matthew chew you have Ooh. to yeah you have to evolve up and you have to eat a lot uh so that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rodrigo. Sleeping Beauties, hey. but probably not that one Sleeping Beauties uh, book that is uh, pretty risque. And also not the Sleeping Beauty from Disney, I'm guessing. You mean the sleeper in the spindle? Is that what you meant? Or do you uh, mean the Zenoscope book? <laughs> maybe. I was trying to not Tell to shout things out. Is, dude. It's, it's that or, you know, there's so many other things. Tell us about Sleeping hey, Beauties from IDW Publishing. <laughs> All right, so Sleeping Beauties, this comic by IDW, is an adaptation of a Stephen King book by the same name. So it is that Sleeping Beauties, if you were. Oh, that um, one, Stephen King. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the one that he uh, did with his son Owen. His son. Right, mm -hmm. Owen, or was this that's the right. one that he co-wrote with? Um, this is the one with Owen. Joe. This is okay. the one with Owen, yeah. Okay. So... Uh, Sleeping Beauties. If you read the solicitation for Sleeping Beauties, it is as follows. A strange sleeping sickness known as Aurora has fallen over the world. And strangest of all, it only affects women. In the small town of Dueling, a mysterious woman has walked out of the woods. She calls herself Eve 
and leaves a trail of carnage behind her. More mysterious, she's the only woman not falling asleep. Uh, uh, most of that is not actually in this first issue. Or hmm. it, it is, but it's not explained as such. This issue has very little text um, in, in a lot of places. And the text that it does have doesn't spend a lot of time uh, explaining what exactly is going on. Uh, furthermore, um, art-wise, it takes some... There's, there are times when characters are asleep, and also there are times when um, characters are like thinking about things, and it's actually kind of hard to tell if what you are seeing is an abstraction of this character is asleep and so this is what they're seeing in their dream or is this actually happening? Um, and the art style it makes that ambiguous. And in a book that is a supernatural book where you know people are like sleeping and dreaming and stuff, um, I think it's important that all that stuff is like super clear. Um, and at at least from this first issue, I feel because they want to keep everything mysterious to hook you into what's going to happen next, it is often not. Um, other than that, you know, this looks like a... This looks good. Um, there is, a, in fact, a character that is going around killing people, and it's not clear why. Um, this sleeping sickness is starting to manifest, but it's slow. It's not like, you know, your Why the Last Man situation where um, everybody's already dead at the beginning. is like this is just kind of starting to manifest. Um, so, I mean, I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, I would give it three slices of meatloaf. It is, um, I don't know, it's, it doesn't look like necessarily the sort of comic that I would be into, uh, but uh, just kind of structurally and visually, it makes some interesting choices. So I'm, you know, kind of what, what I feel is working against it is also working for it because it looks like such, a, um, such an abstract comic at times. Um, I'm interested to see where they take that look. And that's probably the main reason why I might continue to read this. So, yeah. Uh, Sleeping Beauties, number one, uh, IDW. I would give it three slices of meatloaf. Okay. Very, very, very good. All right. Uh, let's do a uh, surprise round of um, Bowl of the Week. Bowl <laughs> of the Week! What is your favorite anime series of all time? Ashley, let's start with you. What's your favorite anime series of all time? Super easy, Sailor Moon. Why is that? Uh, it was my first anime love. I remember seeing it as a child and thinking it was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen. I have revisited it uh, as a teen and now as an adult. Uh, and every incarnation of it, even Crystal, which is not perfect, uh, continues to bring me joy and it will always just hold such a special, special place in my heart. And Sailor Jupiter was a formative crush for me. So there's no <laughs> denying uh, its impact on my life. There you go. 
the the oldest is just devouring as much anime as he can right now i think he's in the middle of one piece uh he's uh, also i think on his second watch of naruto he's uh, uh dragon balls he's done all the dragon balls who knows what else he's watching these are just the things that i know he's been watching because he walks through the living room with his ipad turned all the way up and so i'm like what are you watching now and he'll say something like that um but i still think for me I still I think I have to go with Cowboy Bebop as my favorite anime, right? Nice. Uh, just because of the story that's told and the fact that it's that it is, um, you know, so so sweeping in the the histories of these characters and the involvement of these characters and the tragedies of these characters. I think that 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 is still going to be my favorite. Now, I know it's that's not the real folk blues. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's it's technically not anime, uh, but if you were to ask the youngest uh, because he's watched basically all the same stuff that the oldest ones has. He is a huge fan of the Avatar and Korra series right now. Sure. Uh, I mean, this, I literally, he and I sat down and watched all of Korra together. We made a point to watch it together. Uh, and then I think he's now on his third watch through of that series alone within the last two weeks because he just enjoys it so much. But I know it's technically not anime, so don't at me, people. Uh, Rod- Rodrigo? Someone is already is sure. already in your mentions right now. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Rodrigo, what is your favorite anime of all time? Of all time, uh, it's probably Gurren Lagann. Okay, tell us about that one. Uh, Gurren Lagann is the story of a, a young boy who lives underground uh, who finds a tiny drill and a small mech, and then he uses that to... Uh, dig his way out of his underground world and then he finds that there is a greater world outside of that and so he uses the power of his drill to uh, fight that and then he finds that there is a greater world beyond that and so he drills into the heavens until his until they shatter with the power of his energy nice that sounds super yeah, interesting it's, yeah it's hardcore i love gurren lagan it's nuts is this like on um, Crunchyroll or where can people watch this? Um, almost certainly it's available. Let's see. I just asked because I'm also I, I'm constantly looking for different anime series. And so uh, different things will always come into my list. I watched this one about a kid or a guy who's an adult who travels back in time to when he was a kid. And there was some uh, serial killing stuff goes on and he's got to try to figure out who done it. And he keeps failing until he doesn't. Um, that was a very cool, I forget what the is name. that called? Oh man, I'm going to have to look it up. Oh, I, it sounds so good. <laughs> it, it really, you know, it's a really slow burn because all of a sudden he's gone back in time as a, I want to say like eight, nine, 10 year old, somewhere like that. And these murders are going on. He's like, well, I know these things are happening and he tries to save one girl and he doesn't, he's go back to the future. And he has this ability that when someone is in trouble, he can travel back in time to try and save them. Um, so let me, I'll look that up while Rodrigo is erased. Um, Boko Daki Gai It may, oh yeah. I am erased. I think is, is what the name of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Yeah. So Gurren Lagan is available on Hulu and Netflix. Okay, cool. So, um, if you've got either of those, you can watch it now. All right. Matthew, what is your favorite time, uh, uh anime of all time? Mm, of all time. Well, it should be noted that I'm old. So we have to go back to my youth uh, with the, the mighty power of Maha Go 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 Speed Racer. Mm-hmm. I loved Speed Racer when I was a kid. Uh, many of my formative memories of media are about Speed Racer and Underdog. 
Uh, and the Speed Racer comic book that now comics put out in the 90s when I was like 20 years old is still a fave rave for me. It's really, really great stuff. But if you go back to those original episodes, I remember the end of the first chapter of the Mammoth Car where this giant, giant car is driving, and they're driving over the metaphorical camera. I know there's no camera, really. Well, actually, there might be. It's animation. But the car is driving over the camera, and I remember being terrified, just freaked out at being run over by the mammoth car. But if you look at so many of the storytelling bits and pieces in there, I mean, I can say to you, secretly Speed's elder brother Rex, and even if you don't know what that means... You have some idea what that means. It's become, you know, ingrained into a lot of pop culture. So if you haven't seen the Speed Racer movie from 2008, I say check it out. It's a lot of fun. But if you can go back and get a hold of the actual Speed Racer uh, episodes, which they got to be streaming somewhere. They got to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm it's sure like they the are. There's, there's also there's a, a ton of Speed Racer is on uh, YouTube. And if people have either the Blu-ray or the DVD of the live-action version, which mm-hmm. I like and I think is ahead of its time, um, you they have a couple individual episodes as their bonus material there, too. Cool. Yeah, I, I went and double-checked, and it definitely is erased as the anime that I'm thinking of. It's yeah. uh, very it's very interesting, Ashley. It's, it's nice. dealing with childhood traumas. It's dealing with... Um, you know, friendship and making friends and a bunch of other things, but it's also got serial killing in it as well. So I mean, I, I have, uh, added this and Gurren Lagann to my watch list because I've already seen a bunch of speed racers. I'll be, I'll be interested. I'll be interested to see what you think about a race after you've seen it. Um, just because for me, I watched it and I was like, wow, this is not what I expected it to be. And, um, it was still very, very good. So park that for a future finally friday there you go we will do that finally friday is our live uh end of the week show that i do four o'clock p.m central time right on our twitch channel twitch.tv slash major spoilers uh you uh can follow the channel so you know when we're on live i've also been doing something i'm hoping it can continue into august and september uh, but i've been doing a lunchtime game time stream where i'll just sit down and play a game for an hour and just hang out with people uh it's been mostly electronic versions of board games um, and, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've just been playing the last two days. We've done street masters, the beta version of that from blacklist games. And that's been a lot of fun. So you go check us out at twitch.tv slash major spoilers. All right. Uh, it's interesting that we were talking about anime because this week we're diving back into my hero academia volume five. This is where we are wrapping up the, the big, uh, um, what is it? It's not the UA Olympics, but essentially that's what it is. I it's think it's tournament. a sports festival. Yeah, yeah. Sports festival. That's what it is. And uh, we are going to see if our our main man is going to make it all the way to the number one spot or if he's going to fail miserably. Spoilers. It's one or the other. It really is one or the other, Matthew. So, uh, Rodrigo, why don't you uh, give us an overview of, of what, what we find in this backwards reading volume. Yes. Uh, what do we find in this backwards reading volume? We find first off the recommendation of doing your um, single issue comic before you jump into a manga so that you're not reading uh, your uh, single issue comic backwards. Yeah. Uh, so that, that took some, that, that had to reconfigure my brain for a second. Uh, but yes, 
so um, as this is, in fact, a shonen style manga, we find ourselves in the middle of a tournament. Hooray! Um, in this tournament, we see uh, Bakugo fight Uraraka, mm -hmm. so the grenade boy versus the gravity girl. Uh, we see. Um, Midoriya. Who else do we see? Yeah, we so we see yeah, and then uh, yeah, Midoriya goes up against the um, the fire, fire and ice, ice boy, yeah. Todoroki, and then we see Todoroki. yeah, mm -hmm. and then we see uh, what else? Who else? Um, jet legs. Yep, and uh, yeah, then it's uh, jet legs versus uh, fire and ice boy. Yeah, we also see uh, some other stuff that. Uh, Bakugo does, and then we find out that the 90s came and killed, or, or almost killed, um, <laughs> Sorry, go on. Jetlag's dad. Yeah. Um, or no, and, not his dad, uh, his brother. His brother. Oh, sorry, yeah, his brother, you're right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that kind of leaves us with um, the final confrontation, which is um, it's like it's anticlimactic, but it's good. It's um, you know, it's like uh, the 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 final contestant has a change change of heart, or or, or really is doubting themselves, and so uh, rather than giving you a spectacular final fight, it just like kind of lets himself get knocked out. Yeah, and which, it's really, which is an interesting way to go. Yeah, because you think that this is Midoriya's story, right? That he's going right. to go in and he's going to use his uh, all might uh, quirk to save the day. All or, for one. All for one. Sorry, uh, his all for one spark to save the day. But then he realizes that uh, Todoroki is having these huge family issues that are holding him back, and so Midoriya basically. I want to say cons him, but pushes him into using his fireside to defeat him so that he can go on and try to prove to his dad that he is not his, his dad. He is not his mom. And they really get into some real big family issues with uh, Todoroki and his dad, which is, I forget what his dad's name is, but he's like the second greatest Endeavor. superhero of all time. Yeah. Uh, so I find that I found that exchange super, super exciting. And then of course, uh, Todoroki decides that he's not going to use his fire powers in the final fight against uh, Splody Hands. And uh, is it Splody Hands or Sweaty Palms? I forget what his name is, but um, my kid's got all the action figures. Uh, sorry, kid. Uh, but uh, and then we see what happens at the end of that and, and that a victory sometimes is a is a hollow victory, depending on how you look at it. And it, I really as the conclusion, I would say, of the first major arc of of this series, I found it very satisfying in a weird way. Did you guys come across that same way? Ashley, did you come across that same way? Oh yeah. And the thing when you're reading uh manga is for the most part, you're going to be left with an unsatisfying conclusion. If you're used to only reading Western style comic books and collections, just sort of, the way it's all structured out because these chapters are building toward the final conclusion. It's much more like reading a very, 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 very 150 act movie um, as opposed to a season of television. But this whole volume is 
just a bunch of superheroes fighting each other. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty into it. Um, I will say I, I, I don't understand why anyone likes Bakugo. He sucks. He's the worst. Oh, yeah. I hate him. Um, I, but also, you, ironically, you... even though you point out that this is Midoriya's story, and if you watch the show, it always opens up with, like, this is the story of how I became the greatest superhero of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, this volume kind of exists just to show you what a badass Bakugo and Todoroki are in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Midoriya takes a back seat. And what's great about that is you finally learn the names of some of these characters. <laughs> yes. Even though I'm still going to call him uh, Splody Hands and Jet Legs and I mean, uh, Sticky Balls. Last last volume, uh, to be fair, last volume they introduced 20 new characters. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. So, uh, you and know. I mean, it's not like the main character doesn't intentionally give him a demeaning nickname of his own. I mean, he calls him Kachan, which is like little boy. And I'm like, ha ha, you're, you're evil. But that's, you know. So this was a different reading experience for me. Typically in the previous volumes, we have read this through the viz.com uh, electronic reader, which I'm guessing most of the rest of you did because that's where we have it. But mm-hmm. as I've as I've said before, my oldest is a very uh, he doesn't want people to know. So be aware, everyone in the entire world who's listening to this. My son secretly loves My Hero Academia and blows through all the volumes super, super quickly. He may be the one that I referred to earlier that has the action figures that I picked up at GameStop before they closed down because of the coronavirus. Uh, He so I wanted to read outside because it was super nice. So I went into his room and I was like, hey, man, uh, can I borrow your copy of My Hero Academia volume five? And he kind of looks at me. He's like, why do you want to borrow it? I'm like, because I would like to read it for the podcast this week. And sure enough, he knew exactly where I was, pulled it out. He's like, he was one of those that please don't bend up the book uh, as he gave it to me. I went outside and read it. This was a super fast read. I think actually mostly in part because it is nothing but one big battle after another with a few conversations in between some, uh, you know, uh, as Rodrigo mentioned, the uh, jet legs uh, um, uh, brother getting attacked by by a creepy monster guy that's broken out of prison. Uh, I mean, but, yeah, this is like the opposite of reading Dark Knight's Metal, which is nothing but words, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. the heck that that's called now. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's almost no words on these pages. Oh, yeah. And so it, I, I think I was done in 30 minutes. But then we get up to um, uh, Bakugo. And I, I just I really get the feeling. And I don't know, Ashley, have you read far into the future of this series? Have you read it all or watched all the shows or anything? Uh, not super far. I'm into the next arc on this, okay. but I'm not like I'm not, quote unquote, caught up. <laughs> OK, because I went in to go ask the boy has like Bakugo tur- turns into a villain, doesn't he? And he won't tell me. He's like, no, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I know that's the name of your show, but I'm not going to spoil it for you because that's not who I am. <laughs> and I was like, OK, that's fine. He he's just. He's your tiny human. He's got to reject what you named your show. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, you really do get the feeling, especially after uh, Bakugo, Splody uh, Hands, is just sitting there going, I do not accept this victory. To me, it is a defeat because he didn't use his full potential. Uh, I am the greatest. I will kill. And he literally says multiple times, whether he's going up against Gravity Girl or going up against um, whoever else, that uh, that he wants to kill, kill, kill them. And it's like, wow, that's very disturbing. Uh, to come out of this kid who supposedly wants to be a great hero. Do you guys get the do you guys get the the villain turn here, Matthew, or not? I don't, but I think it may be a cultural thing because I read this in kind of a I tried to take it in the same context that I would look at like a, a Super Sentai or you know something that comes out of that Japanese culture. When you look at 
you know, Bakugo, he is he basically has the theory that a hero is the guy who never stops fighting, never gives up, and then extends it to never loses. And of course, you're I feel like we're going to have to come to a point where we see him accept that never giving up doesn't mean always winning. He's got a big lesson in his future, and I feel like that lesson can be learned, and I feel like that lesson doesn't have to, you know, involve a heel turn. But having the character who's extremely, you know, headstrong and angry and focused on one thing above all others, and then having to learn to either accept that or change the world to where it accepts that he believes that is something that I've run into a number of times. I feel like what we're actually seeing is kind of like when we when we look at an American comic where you have that moment of Superman does this, but Batman goes, I'm Batman. I feel like it's kind of some of that through a different cultural lens. But I feel like the the biggest win for me of this whole thing is that our quote-unquote protagonist isn't anywhere near the winner's uh, table at the end. Yeah, yeah, no, he's like eighth place or something like that is where he lands in this contest. That's the uh, thing that I love because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to have this and he's going to overcome everything and we're going to get to the end and he's going to win and he's going to use his all might power and it's going to be awesome. But no, that doesn't happen. Isn't that satisfying though where it doesn't turn out to be that way because that becomes a little bit too much, oh, this kid has life so easy because he wins everything. So maybe it's better that he doesn't win this tournament. Maybe he doesn't get everything that he he desires or wants. I think that, you know, that does tie into, again, what Bakugo is looking for. He's mad, I think, or part of the reason that he's coming across as so, you know, over-the-top arrogant. I think he may be mad at Midori for, or Midoriya for uh, having kind of the All Might power, quote-unquote, handed to him. Well, but nobody knows know. at that he point. Know, yeah, nobody knows right. at that point. Although right. some people are starting to suspect, some people at the school obviously some know. Uh, but I also uh, we also get a couple of interesting bits in this volume that uh, I thought was interesting that I hadn't known before because it was right before this volume that I stopped watching the anime series. Uh, but mm-hmm. that All Might also uh, did not have the all the um, all for one power or the um, I say the all spark, but. Uh, the all for or one, one power. for all, or it's one of those ones. I can't remember which one, whichever yes. Alexander Dumas reference they went with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that he also was just a normal quirkless person until he was given this, given this power. So I think that that is something that's very interesting that I hope that we see more of in the future. And as Midoriya is trying to win the contest, um, he basically unleashes with his whole hand and burns up his arm and his hand and shatters it into a million pieces and the school nurse is basically like, look, I'm not repairing you anymore after this. This is it. And I'm not even going to repair you 100% this time if this is what you're going to keep doing. And so he comes away with a major battle scar uh, after after the events of this contest, which I also found very interesting. I don't know about you guys, but I certainly did. Yeah. He's going to have to find some other way. His well, or way. else he's going to have to figure out a way to control that power. So... Uh, what did you like about this, this volume, Ashley? My preferred type of anime that's not Magical Girl is, uh, mechs fighting or mechs fighting monsters or people fighting each other. And so this gives me, uh, my second favorite, basically, uh, story trope for this medium. 
I really like the stuff that we're doing with uh, Todoroki, who I always want to call Tokidoki. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is the name of the toy company. And I can't open my preferences, so I can't fix my microphone. So oh, that's okay. enjoy. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, Matthew, what about you? What did you enjoy about this volume? I feel like the the tournament is a huge part of of most of the anime stories that I'm aware of. You know, you run into Naruto was in a tournament and Yu Yu Hakusho had a tournament and you have, you know, this is a big kind of trope. This is almost like it, you know, a a rite of passage for, you know, certain types of stories, anime and manga. So I feel like having one that is this exciting, first of all, is cool. Because part of the reason that I could never get into Dragon Ball Z mm -hmm. was because I fell right in the middle of that tournament the, with the Cell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't like Cell. And, you know, there's nine guys and they're all green and they look like pickles. Um, but that's, you know, that can be off-putting. I like the fact that this one is really, really engaging and really, really easy to follow in a lot of ways. You know, not like simple or not, you know, in, in any way meant to denigrate it. It's really cool to follow this, and it's really neat to look at it and see how logically it all plays out. Plus, I feel like the art took a step up uh, in this volume. Oh, really? Maybe okay. it's yeah, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the number of, you know, double page spreads and big explosion things that we had here. But it feels like this is more more complex and in a lot of ways more engaging in the big explosion set on fire, ice balls, everybody's exploding. And also a guy has grapes on his head kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo, uh, what, what about you? What did you really like about this this volume? Um, I think this volume is very well written. It really hides the fact that it's actually a, a very well-written thing by clothing it as a, as a tournament, right? As like the most basic kind of like shonen tro trope of, you know, it's like all, everyone, everyone shows off what they can do in one-on-one -on -one fights. Um, you have this situation where um, we see really what's important about Midoriya is not his power, uh, but the fact that he's uh, a sweet little baby and cares about everyone. Um, and because he's a sweet little baby, he loses. And because he's a sweet little baby, the person that he tried to help also loses. Mm -hmm. And because he's a sweet little baby, not only do those two people lose, but uh, the person that wins feels it's a hollow victory. It's like Midoriya takes one action, which is to be like, hey, don't let your dad get to you, man. And it breaks three people. It breaks him, <laughs> it breaks uh, Todoroki, and it breaks uh, Bakugo. So yeah. um, it goes, like, more so than previous volumes, I feel like this speaks volumes to who Midoriya is. Because, yes, training and training and training and hoping and hoping and hoping that he can do well and being clever about the use of this power that he gets in limited amounts does speak to his personality and him being brave when the uh, villains attack. That's great. Um, but this thing that sort of like, it's his kindness that is like his greatest weapon. The thing that's most impactful about Midoriya is his kindness. And it like has ripples 
throughout everybody else's story is probably uh, what what I find most interesting about this volume. Mm-hmm. Now, did you guys read the uh, sections in between the chapters? Like in the previous uh, volumes, it's like, here's what these characters look like in their regular clothes and those kinds of things. This one mm-hmm. actually has a section where it's like, here's how much it costs to build Midoriya's costume. Yeah, it's cute. Mm-hmm. And it's super yeah, I... cheap. And I'm like, ah, that's funny. I always like to read that kind of interstitial material because I feel like that, that for me is the best part of the world building where you're like, oh, and here's something you didn't know. Uh, there's a grocery store down the street and it's named Bob's. <laughs> to me, that's the best part of it yeah. where you get those moments. I'm not sure why all of a sudden there was a bikini sequence at the end. Yeah, it's because it's summertime. Well, yeah, but it's like one page and then we're like, oh, next volume, come back. And I'm like, are you are you threatening me? What are you saying? Yeah, those those in between things, I kind of don't read them because it feels like cheating. Oh, yeah. Like it's like this character hasn't been fleshed out yet. So if I like read and I I have read some of them and it's it's really interesting because um, what's the what's the name of the of the creator of my hero academia i forget but um they're like yeah i haven't found a like i I haven't found a good place for this character you know maybe we'll see them later on doing something else and i'm like it kind of breaks the magic when you Mm -hmm. do see later on see that character doing something else because like that clearly wasn't the plan from the beginning it's like even if it feels like if it was like properly foreshadowed or you know in, in retrospect it works it like kind of messes things up for me a little bit and also because um i'm like well if you want me to know about this character then you need to like engage with this character in the text you can't just tell me what this character does you can't just say what your character how your characters feel that makes me feel angry <laughs> right <laughs> but I, I that's the stuff that i love uh horikoshi is his name kohei horikoshi um, this is like, if you go and read, and God help me, I'm going to do it again. If you go read a st- uh, collection of Stephen King short stories, there's usually either at the beginning of each story or at the beginning of the book, little notes about what they are, what they became, what they expected to be. And I love all of that stuff. Mm. That to me is kind of half the fun. And I remember really bumming out a friend of mine. Because uh, I had a book about the original Star Trek series, the seven and nine episodes. And it was fascinating. It was all about the backstory and the actors and the writing and the the production. And she hated it because she didn't care about any of that. She loved the fiction of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the metatextual part for me is the fun part. But I I definitely get it does feel like cheating sometimes when you're like, hey, look at this guy. Yeah, and I mean, guy? and I'm all for it, you know, if it's like when you see a picture of like this like goofy piece of plastic toy that came out of a vending machine and you're like, this is what rust monsters are based on. Sure, that's <laughs> a lot of fun, right? <laughs> uh, it's it's just kind of like it feels like cheating for there to be like a block of text explaining who this character is when the character hasn't even like really been properly introduced <laughs> there's a but note that's... about halfway through here where there's a character he's like he's got this weird thing on his head that's that's probably hair yeah, it's probably hair yeah. a big thing in the back i i just love that i i yeah. don't know what that is i, I guess uh, i should i should probably roll with it i should get into it because there's there's a real honesty to it of like i just i wanted to draw a character with a giant tail so here's this guy 
like I'm not really sure if he has any other powers besides that tail. So we'll I see. Mean, there are there are worse reasons for creating characters. I don't know, absolutely. And like it's not like I've it's not like I as a writer have never done that, right? right. It's not like I've never introduced the character because there's some aspect that I'm interested in. I just don't tell anybody because it feels frivolous to mm. be like, well, yeah. I really wanted to do a weird accent. So here's this character on critical hit. Oh yeah. I've I've had that feeling. In fact, I think I may have had it in the same game as you. But yeah. and and you know, that's legit. I feel like that is and not necessarily a, a weakness or a flaw, but that's a choice made in here um that may or may not work for you because you do have that thing where it's like, yeah, okay, uh yeah, I've run out of things to talk about. So here's this. Here's how Katsuo Furbola's uh things work. You know, you have you have a, those moments where it could break the the suspension of disbelief for you. Well, and I so feel I, like... I wonder. I wonder. Then let me let me ask you this, uh, Rodrigo. So you have the the little interstitial bits where you're like, "Here's this character, and here's what I was thinking of, and here's how his thing does." You don't like that, but do you like it in the middle of the story where Bakugo is is saying, "Here's how my explodey hand costume saves up my sweat, so I can explode yeah. whenever I want." That's yeah, you prefer that's, that much that's better. Fine. Okay. That's fine because it's that's clear there. And and like, don't get me wrong, I don't mind the one about how cheap Midoriya's costume is, because I feel like that is that in and of itself doesn't actually feel metatextual. Like that right. could actually just be a panel in the book. Mm-hmm. It's like value added. Yeah. Whereas like here's like so it, it's probably like my own like like being like super judgmental but there's a lot of comics and i was reading a lot of comics in the 90s and i feel like a lot of comics that were new just didn't want to do the homework like they just didn't want to do the work of being like here's a character that we're introducing through the story and doing this and this it's like first page here's six characters there's tech boxes that tell you their name, what their superpowers are, and something about them. And it's like, you can do that in like X-Men 147 because people already know those characters and new people are jumping on and you might need a refresher because somebody has already done the work to do that, right? But it's like, when you don't, like, it's like, you don't get to tell me, it's like, you don't even get to tell me who this character is. I know I'm going to love this character, but don't tell me about it yet. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you tell me, it ruins it. I want yeah. to learn why I'm going to love this character. <laughs> All right. So what is the, what's the bottom line for everybody on this volume? Rodrigo? I, I found it very enjoyable. This is actually probably the volume of My Hero Academia that I've enjoyed the most. Um, because I feel that here we're st- starting to break away from even though this is the tropiest one yet we're starting to really see why these characters are who they are and what direction they're all going whereas before it really felt like a lot of the like school tropes and like i'm gonna be the very best kind of tropes just Mm -hmm. you know in in a shiny new wrapper uh, here I'm starting to see really what there is to like about this um, about this book, um, so I, I actually enjoyed it a lot. Cool, Matthew. I feel like when you're dealing with one of these huge, massive generational sagas, once you get the ball rolling, they tend to improve. They tend to, you know, kind of 
coalesce. It's like you're rolling the little snowball and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's not necessarily something that I would say is so much greater than any of the previous volumes because they've all been pretty solid. But I feel like this one really feels like it has its legs under it the whole way. And I really do like the way it comes together. And I, I love the fact that at the very beginning, he admits, hey, I knew I was going to do this big tournament thing, but it kind of got away from me. And I realized halfway through that it was going to be bigger than I thought. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I really like that because it kind of gives you an expectation of, oh, is this going to be a train wreck? No, it's actually quite solid. It has everything all together. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, ooh, where do we go from here? These people are all going to be yelling at each other. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. No, I, I th- really enjoyed it. I think he was actually talking, wasn't it, to the Naruto guy that was like, oh, yeah, you are you think you're going to do a yeah. fairly short uh, story arc and it's going to turn into something yeah. way out of control. The Naruto guy told him that uh, plan out your arc and then realize it's going to bloat to twice yeah. that size yeah. and just I, roll with it. I kind of agree with you guys. I really enjoyed this volume. It's a really quick read, a lot of punching, a lot of blowing things up, a lot of people trying to use their quirks the best they can. Um, you know, it, it really feels like when you get to the end of this, that there's a conclusion that it doesn't leave you hanging, that when you come back, you're ready for the next big story that they're uh, ready to tell. So I say, yeah, this is definitely a must read. Ashley, we're giving you the final word this week on my hero academia. (laughs) That's all right. Pass through this. We'll see. Um, I think I love this volume, uh, lot this is where for me in both the show and in the manga it really clicks in and all of the pieces uh which just happen to be in about you know twenty thousand individualized items really come together in a way that uh starts to make sense and is really hinting at the narrative if you don't listen to the beginning where they tell you exactly what's going to happen yeah and uh, my only issue against recommending going and picking this up immediately is you really do, I think you do need the first four volumes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in yeah. order to get the most out of this. And if you are struggling to read or to stick with it, but there are things that intrigue you, I think this is the point that will grab you and you will be into it from here on out. This is, it feels, I guess, fully realized in a way that previous volumes hadn't, which is no knock on the previous volumes. They were great. Yeah. Yeah, very good. All right. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us uh, this week. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. And thank you, Ashley and Matthew and Rodrigo, for being part of the show. And I think that's where we're going to wrap this issue up. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers Experience. We love your feedback. So call your attacks and use them in the comic section, comments section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or even better, you can send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of Spider-Man's a clone Stop
podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.